You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. And here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined right across from me is the one, the only, Jack Foster. My friend, welcome to Miami. Or maybe should I say Fort Lauderdale because that is where we are. How you doing? I got another word for you. How about paradise? Because that is what this area is. I've never been to Miami. You said you had never either. But man, just flying in. Um, Ubering around the city, this area of the country is absolutely beautiful. I've just loved every second. In the day and a half, I've been here already. Yeah, you said earlier that you were already trying to find plans to figure out how to <laughs> right. move down here, huh? Yeah, moving down. That might have to wait till I'm in my 30s, okay. but you know, because it, it's probably pretty expensive to live in South Florida, I would imagine. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a great experience thus far, and I'm excited for the next couple days as well. Man, it's been hot here as well, and I know that a lot of Tennessee fans as well are are going to be kind of experiencing this, but what a turnaround for a lot of folks who uh, maybe started out their trip in snow and have now ended it maybe, you know, the same day, myself included, in the sand in the sun. Uh, That's (laughs) quite the turnaround. Yeah, it was zero degrees where I'm from, I think, last Friday. And I couldn't even drive my Jeep out of my driveway because it was iced over and then snow on top a couple of inches in West Tennessee. So just to be here when it's mid-70s and sunny, it's just crazy. Yeah, like you said, the turnaround is just wild yeah. that it can happen like that. No doubt about it. So, man, there's a lot to get into to, uh, today because we have a huge football game tomorrow night, which is going to be Friday night, the 2022 Capital One Orange Bowl Ryan, uh, excuse me, Jack and I are going to spend a couple minutes talking about that. And then after the Orange Bowl conversation here on the podcast, about halfway through or so, we are going to bring in our good friend, Ryan Shumpert. As always, man, he was in Oxford for the Tennessee basketball season opener last night, which I guess was, what, Wednesday night, uh, when Tennessee had the four-point victory over Ole Miss to start out SEC basketball play. So we're going to bring, we're going to be bringing in Ryan a little bit later on. He's going to be talking a little bit of basketball with us. But until then, hey, we're here. We got to talk to both Josh Heupel and Dabo Sweeney earlier this morning. There's a lot going on with this Orange Bowl. Jack, where do you want to where do you want to start this thing out? What do you kind of feel like is the biggest story for the Orange Bowl for Tennessee right here, right now? Well, let's talk about one of the biggest stories from this morning. If you look at the rosters, you know, opt-outs are gonna happen in bowl season. So I sure. think Let's start there. There's a couple of key vols out, a couple of key tigers out for Clemson's side as well. And we've got, I think, since the last time we had a podcast, Jeremy Banks has opted out. Last time we did it, we knew of Cedric and Jalen Hyatt. But now Jeremy Banks is also out. So three crucial starters out for Tennessee. Yeah, and I will say even even to that, a couple of guys that Tennessee are going to have playing, even though they're not going to be returning, excuse me, returning to school next year. Byron Young is a guy who's going to be playing, who is uh, declaring for the NFL draft. Another one is Darnell Wright, which I think maybe we've known about a little bit longer on, uh, but certainly an important piece. But let's talk about those three guys. Uh, You know, it's my belief that obviously that's going to provide challenges for Tennessee. And 
this is not going to be a conversation about transfer portal or opt-outs and college football as a whole. That's that's for a different time and a different place. We're just talking about Tennessee right now. I, I do think that this is going to be a, cha- a hard challenge to overcome. Now, is there is there possibilities to overcome it? Of course, right? We've seen Tennessee have an electric offense all year long. We know that a lot of it was scheme as well, right? But man, maybe even another departure to throw in there, Alex Golesh. Who, who leaves to take the South Florida job at the beginning of uh, December. So Tennessee ha- does have a lot of obstacles in their way. I-, I do think that sets for a challenge. Now, there's ways to get over that challenge, and it will provide new opportunities for other players. But I, I do, I- I'm not really looking at this as, oh, you know, I think that's something easy for Tennessee to overcome. I think this is going to be difficult for Tennessee to overcome. This is your starting quarterback, two of your, you know, two of your top receivers uh, are not going to be playing in this game, and I do think that matters. Yeah, and it matters especially in this game because you're going up against a defense like Clemson. They've sure. been one of the nation's best defenses for the past five, six years or so, every, since, ever since they became an elite program, and especially this year. I mean, that's been Cle- uh, Clemson's saving grace. That's the only reason they won the ACC, in my opinion. Sure, they had a fine offensive day against North Carolina in the championship game, the only reason they won 10 games was because they were holding opponents to you know small amount of points and small amount of yards, so... With Tennessee being down these offensive starters against a defense like Clemson's, that is going to be tough. I do want to stress the importance of Darnell Wright playing because Clemson's strength is in their front seven, Yeah. even though they do have two opt-outs, but their strength is still going to be in their pass rush and run defense. So Darnell Wright is going to help tremendously in that area. But yeah, outside, not having that upside, you usually see a Tennessee offense have with Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. I do think that Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton are fine options. We've seen Keaton make some tremendous plays this year. Yeah. I think Brew McCoy is heavily underrated. Um, I think he's a great physical body who can make any catch, and he's going to grow as a receiver too. So I'm not, I don't have any beef with Tennessee's weapons. They're not as good as they could be, of course. Of course, Joe Milton is not hitting Hooker, but the potential is still there. And we've seen Clemson's secondary get got a couple times. If anything gets got on Clemson's secondary, or on their defense, it's their secondary. So I don't think it's the end of the world by any stretch. Tennessee will still be able to put up some points. But yeah, it's not what it could be, and it's going to present some issues. Sure, I mean, I, I got to say, you know, I, I am a little nervous about Joe Milton going out there and, and leading Tennessee to a victory because I, I do think that this is going to be a game where Tennessee goes out there and asks Joe Milton to win them that game. You, you saw in the start against Vanderbilt, Tennessee was running away with that game the entire right. time, right? Joe Milton did not have to win that game for Tennessee. In fact, it was a you know it was a shutout, if I remember correctly. I think that you know obviously we're gonna have a little bit of a different situation in this game upcoming for the for the Orange Bowl. I, I do think that this is gonna be a game where Tennessee puts the ball in Joe Milton's hands and say, hey, look, we need to you know we we need a pass here, we need a drive here, we need a touchdown here. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he responds, especially with everything coming up next year as well. Obviously, this being a little bit of an evaluation tool for that quarterback competition next year. And we're going to, we're not getting into the quarterback competition right now. That's, again, a conversation for a later day in time. But I, I do think that Joe Milton is going to need to be good uh, in this game for Tennessee to have a chance to, to put up the normal amount of points that we're used to them seeing uh, against a solid Clemson defense. Yeah, I mean, against Vanderbilt, they had, what, 300 and something rushing yards? Yes. Maybe over 400. I think they had 329 in the second half. Something crazy, it was right? A ridiculous All amount. three running backs were running all over the Commodores, and that is not going to happen against Clemson. This is not taking away anything uh, from Tennessee's running backs. I think all three are really good in their own respective right, but against a defense like the Tigers, against a front like that, it's just not going to be there to where you don't have to lean on Joe. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're going to have to lean on Joe, especially if you get behind early a little bit in the first half. You're going to have to have him make plays. Can he make the plays? We'll see. He's had a, <laughs> he's had all month to prepare. Yeah. Uh, if there's, this is the game of his life, in my opinion. You know, just taking into consideration his story over the past two years. I mean, this is it. This is where he makes his statement, right? If you're Joe Milton, you desperately want to go out here and ball and get the leg up in that quarterback competition we're going to have next year. So this is a really significant game for Joe, and I think he knows that. And maybe we'll see the best game he's played. Maybe we'll see more overthrows. I don't know. I wasn't too blown away at all in the Vanderbilt game I, I still th- I came away thinking that Joe Milton still has a lot to work on yeah so maybe we'll see improvement here I was. in Miami yeah I, I think the same thing man I, I do think that you know Joe Milton and the Tennessee offense are going to be put in a position to have success and that's not saying that they're going against just a, a cupcake kind of defense but we know that Tennessee's offensive scheme is just that good right they're going to be put into a, a solid position of success in any game they play it's just about execution. And mm-hmm. I think that's where we really see what Joe Milton is made of. If he can go out and execute what needs to be executed for Tennessee to win this game. You know, you look at the quarterback situation for both teams as a whole overall, and it is fairly similar, yet fairly different, right? They're both starting a quarterback for this Orange Bowl who has, what, one or less starts? I think Joe Milton has his season. Yeah. one against Vanderbilt this year. And Cade Klubnick for Clemson has zero starts. <laughs> he will be making his first start as a freshman. But this guy is a very, very highly tatted recruit. I believe he was out of Austin, Texas. Uh, I believe even Westlake High School. If I'm not getting that right, then I apologize. But definitely Austin, Texas. He is a, he is a superstar player, man. I, I think that... This is going to be really interesting. You go back to the ACC championship game that Clemson had against North Carolina, and that was when DJ had gotten benched after just a couple plays into the game. They brought in Cade, and he was fantastic, leading him to victory. I think that this is a really impressive... Really impressive young college football player, young young quarterback, and I think he's going to give Tennessee's defense a little bit of trouble just because, in a way, I mean, we even heard, who, who was it, Tim Banks or... or I don't know, one of the Tennessee coaches, I think it was last week, he, they were saying, yeah, you know, we've even gone back to high school film to try to get an idea about what Cade Klubnick brings to the it's table. because you don't have a lot. Exactly. Right? You just don't have a lot to work with there. I think that's kind of an advantage for Clemson. Now, obviously, the, the disadvantage to that is you're playing a guy in a very prestigious bowl game who does not have a lot of experience. But, hey, who, who knows what they're going to do just because we haven't seen too much of it this year. Yeah, and you look at Cade Klubnick, and this is a guy that Dabo Sweeney said today is more prepared to make his first start than the uh, trio of Deshaun Watson, Trevor yeah. Lawrence, and DJ Uyunglele. Now, DJ Uyunglele's career at Clemson is going to be at best forgettable. It is not going to be something <laughs> that Clemson fans are going to look back on and miss at all outside of maybe one game yeah. in his freshman season, which actually was his first start. It may have very well been his best game of his career sure. against Boston College in that comeback. But yeah, so Dabo's praise about Cade, you know he's a highly touted recruit. He did really well against a bad defense um, in North Carolina, but I think Cade Klubnick is going to be able to have success against Tennessee. And you mentioned how each um, scenario was similar yet different. Another way they're similar is that they both have a lot to prove. I mentioned how Joe Milton has a lot to prove. Cade Klubnick has a lot to prove as well. If he's going to get, you know, Clemson fans, it feels like, are all in on Cade Klubnick, and of course they should be. But if, you know, he's going to get next season on the right foot, start that off on the right foot, you want to come out here and you want to play good ball against the top six team in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think certainly you look on both sides and 
both quarterbacks have something to prove, right? Whether it is Cade Klubnick taking a taking a big leap in the next year, or it's Joe Milton trying to solidify that spot. Now, uh, both Joey Halsley and Josh Heupel talked about how, hey, look, we're going to have competitions at, at every position this year, right? Everything is going to be a, you know, it, it's going to be uh, earned, and, and you got to go out there and take it. But still, though, I think Joe Milton has an opportunity to really go out there and kind of prove that he can run this spe- this very specific offense against a very high-level team. Uh, again, we've you know, I, I don't want to talk in circles about this now, but against Vanderbilt, that was not the same kind of test, the same kind of outing, the same kind of experience, it, even just the same kind of result that you can get against a, a team like Clemson on the national stage like this. I think there's a lot of things going for Joe, uh, especially kind of playing with the juice, the playing in front of his hometown, yeah, stuff that's another like that. that. That's big. Yeah, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. To me, that that is absolutely the story of the game on Tennessee's side, right? How, how is Joe Milton going to... Uh, going to do in a moment like this. I think that Tennessee's defense, right, we, for the most part, we know what they are. I, <laughs> yeah. and, and and we'll get to the loss of Jeremy Banks because I do think that hurts, right? Tennessee's one game uh, without Jeremy Banks was by far the worst loss of the season for the Vols. So we'll get into that in a second. But I, I do think that for the Tennessee defense, we kind of know what to expect there. We know that it's going to be a challenge because Clemson has a solid offense but again, to me, story of the game is going to be Joe Milton, what he can do with the offense. Yeah, and last thing I'll say on the offensive side of the ball, as you said, Clemson's going to put up points. Tennessee's going to have to put up points. And you're, if you're a Tennessee fan and you're down in the dumps about facing a Clemson defense with Joe and you know not having your top two receivers, just look at it this way. Josh Heupel is on your side. This has been... One of, if not the best play, call, you know, just play caller in the nation this year, just coming up with offensive schemes. I mean, Jalen Hyatt was the Bolitnikoff winner yep. coming out of nowhere. Like, you know, Josh Heupel is of great credit to that. So having Josh Heupel on your side, you know, that's always going to be a plus for Tennessee. Hey, speaking of play calling real quick, I want to go back to the press conference today. Did you find that interesting? Josh Heupel was asked about when his, uh, when he was going to basically continue the offensive coordinator search and he pretty much answered, hey, you know, let me just go ahead and find the exact quote because I, I think it was, uh, I think it was pretty good. While I while I try to stall here, but we did get to talk to Josh Heupel and Dabo Sweeney earlier today on what was that Thursday morning? Yeah, Thursday morning, and um, yeah, of course, Josh Heupel was asked about the offensive coordinator search. Alex Golish taking the head coaching job at USF. So he got into that a little bit. So here's what he said. He said, uh, "Yeah, we will do all of that." handle all of that on the back end of the bowl season in terms of the coaching search. Just, quote, just everything that's going inside of college football after the regular season finishes will handle all that at the tight end position here at the back end of the bowl game. He was specifically asked about the offensive coordinator there. To me, and, you know, maybe this is reading into it a little much, maybe it's not, but I at least found that very, very interesting that he was asked about the offensive coordinator but spoke more about the tight end coaching search. To me, that kind of leads me to believe that maybe Joey Halsley, Tennessee's quarterback coach, has a pretty good chance of being that uh, offensive coordinator, maybe a co-offensive coordinator if they decide to bring in somebody else. But it seems like maybe that is the track that they're going to go, and then they either bring in or promote from within somebody to take over that tight end room. Uh, But I at least found that really interesting today, again, that he was asked about the offensive coordinator position, but answered about the tight end searching position. No, that's a that's a great point, Rick. And I didn't catch it at the very first. And then you, of course, wrote about it on our site, and I read and I I thought about it some more. And I'm like, yeah, he's right. I mean, 
the tight ends coach is definitely a more specific role you want to fill. And if it's the offensive coordinator, I mean, why not Joey Halsley, right? What they've been able to do in that quarterback room, Hendon Hooker, again, like Jalen Hyatt, a guy you didn't see becoming a Heisman candidate or a, you know, a Heisman front runner for the majority of his senior season that he was just the great career he had on Rocky Top. So uh, I think Joey Halsley has done enough to earn the job and maybe reading into Heupel's quote a little bit, that could be what the future holds for that position. Sure, absolutely. All right, Jack, no Jeremy Banks in the middle of Tennessee's defense. We know that he has opted out and he is uh, he has already played his last game as a Tennessee volunteer. Where are your kind of thoughts right now on just this Tennessee defense led by Tim Banks um, for I, the Clemson game? Right, yes. I don't have significant high hopes um, just because of what I've seen from them this season and what I know Kate or what I think Kate Klubnick can do. It, it's gonna, it's, it's a little. It's unfortunate for Tennessee because he was their leader on defense. I mean, he's a guy who has a ton of experience, brings the energy every single week. But I don't, I don't think their options at linebacker are necessarily bad now. You still have Aaron Beasley, who's more than capable, Jawan Mitchell. So they have depth at that position. They can get some other guys playing time. I'd like to see Elijah Herring play a couple snaps here and there. So I'm not too down in the dumps about Tennessee's linebacker room at all or their potential in this. I, I guess some, what I'm trying to say is, is – I don't think the impact is going to be too significant to where it's going to change the game drastically, if that makes sense. Sure, it's it's going to be unfortunate for Tennessee to not have their leader on defense. To me, the biggest thing is energy and leadership on the field. Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I think that for a lot of this season, we've, te- we've seen Tennessee really kind of implement a – maybe not implement's the right word, but we've seen them uh, uh, fall into a little bit of a bend-but-don't-break defense. Mm-hmm. I, I think that ultimately that is – to me, if if that's what they have against Clemson, and you can kind of keep them in the range of the 30s, to me, I think that is bending but not breaking. Obviously, Tennessee does not want them to get to the high 30s because I'm not at least positive that Joe Milton and the Tennessee offense can get into those high 30s, low 40s as well, it, just with it being a tough game as it is. I think that Tennessee's defense is going to have to uh, really not break when, when they get down to the red zone. I do think they're going to bend. Uh, I think that we've seen a lot of teams kind of make the defense bend throughout the year, but they have been good at different times of kind of getting down to the red zone. And when their back is absolutely against the wall, they can make a couple plays and make a couple things happen. I think those are going to have to be really crucial moments for this Tennessee defense uh, bending, but not breaking. Again, I, I, I am not coming out here and thinking that, you know, Tennessee is going to have a a great defensive game. You're only going to hold them to, to 24 points or so. I, right. I do think that the Tigers are going to put points on the board. You just have to limit them as best as you can. Hey, three points is always going to be better than seven points for the Tennessee defense. Yeah, I guess my confidence level of Tennessee being able to stop Clemson enough to make it you know pretty easy to score more points than Clemson per se, like you said, that early 30s range, late 20s. I guess my confidence level in Tennessee's defense being able to do that was about a six and a half with Jeremy Banks it may be like a five now so it definitely takes a hit um on the potential of Tennessee's defense but like I said not a crazy deal to me but that's a good point of the bending don't break we've seen uh, Jeremy Banks make a lot of good plays especially in the red zone to get those stops yeah no doubt about it man any other kind of thoughts just uh, on this Orange Bowl matchup coming up? We've hit a lot of things so far, but anything we missed? Yeah, something I've heard a lot of people say in the college football world and even about this game is that bowl games don't matter. This doesn't matter at all. And we've kind of discussed how it matters significantly for certain players such as Joe Milton and Cade Klubnick. I think it matters a lot for Brew McCoy, a guy like that, or 
any of the Tennessee running backs who are going to be competing for more playing time going into next year. Some defensive depth guys. It matters so much for the individual players. And then you shift to the program as a whole. This matters big time for Tennessee. This is their biggest game in 25 years as far as, definitely as postseason goes, of course, any bowl game. But you could even extend it further than that. Sure, you could say um, maybe that Georgia game was the biggest game in that in 25 years, the one they went to Athens and lost this year. But this is a big game for the Tennessee program as well. You got 10 wins. You're going to try and close out the season, right? Sure, you're shorthanded, but hey, it's been an excellent season and try to cap it off the right way with the win down here in Miami. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that's a great point right there. Man, there is uh, there's a lot that's going to be going into this game, and we are certainly going to be in the middle of it all. Jack and I will be inside of Hard Rock Stadium on Friday night. We will be at this game. We will be following it from the press box. Again, make sure you are following with Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, uh, excuse me, Jack, I think this is about a uh, muscle memory there. No, I think this is about what a, a we've seen it anywhere from t- we've seen Tennessee anywhere from about a four and a half to a six point underdog. What are your kind of without spoiling what your what your official prediction is, right. where are you kind of leaning for this game? We're gonna have our official predictions out on RockyTopInsider.com later on Thursday night or Friday morning. So without giving it away too much, where are you kind of leaning for this game? Uh, in terms of a winner and a loser. Yeah, I won't give any specific score, of course. But um, yeah, the starting line was around a touchdown, right? And I could see laying some money on Tennessee there. But last time I checked on Caesars, it was four and a half with Clemson being the favorite. To me, if you're going to bet Tennessee with that line, you're expecting just a field goal win from Clemson. Obviously, four points would do it too. But, you know, you're thinking it's about a field goal game. Sure. Um, I would I would go north of that for, for a Clemson victory. Of course, not going to get my final score. But yeah, the line, I see why money came in on Tennessee, um, and now it's down to four and a half, but I would probably lean Clemson with that line. Yeah, I, I think so too, and, and I also kind of lean Clemson as the outright winner. You know, I, I, again, we're just kind of going back to some of the things that we talked about at the beginning of the show today. There are going to be challenges for Tennessee to overcome, and can they overcome them? Yes, I, I certainly believe it, man. They do have talented players on that team. But it is a, a little bit of a different team in certain spots right now when you don't have your, your number one quarterback, the guy that was a Heisman favorite all year, when you don't have your Bolitnikoff award winner, when you don't have you know six foot three, incredibly talented Cedric Tillman on the field, and then on the flip side of the field, when you don't have Jeremy Banks in the middle of the defense, I think that those are tough challenges for Tennessee to overcome. Clemson will have their own challenges. It will be difficult for them. They've talked their, uh, their players have talked about a lot this week how Man, yeah, Tennessee is the fastest team we've played so far. Uh, I think that Tennessee's fast offense gives any team troubles that, that they're playing against, at least at the beginning. Maybe not Georgia a little bit, because Georgia had certainly had their number. But either way, I, I do think that Clemson is going to have their own obstacles as well. But as far as right now goes, as far as we, us recording this on Thursday afternoon, I do lean in the favor of Clemson. And, and that's kind of where I started this game as well on Selection Sunday. Um, but, you know, hey, we've seen crazier things happen Anything can happen pretty much in bowl season. Yeah, and like I said, if Milton has improved, you know the potential he can yeah. have. And like I said, if Clemson's going to get got defensively, it's going to be on the back end. And what does Joe Milton attack? Down the field. There you go. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, anything can happen with this game, but I am going to lean the Tigers. You mentioned Tennessee speed, and just real quick, yeah. my favorite quote from Davos Sweeney, and there were a lot, might I add. He there talked some pretty good ones. For a guy who had lost his voice, he, he talked quite a bit this morning. He talked um, so much that he found his voice by the end of it. Dude, I noticed that. I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but yeah, he, he, 
He started the press conference sounding like he had been chain-smoking cigarettes for <laughs> 45 years, and by the end of it, he just sounded like himself. Right. I don't know what happened there, but hey, yeah, whatever. It, his voice already sounds like he's been chain-smoking for about <laughs> seven to eight years, right? And then it was like, oh, wow, you're yeah. in your 70s, and you've been going at it hard for about 40 <laughs> years now. But yeah, um, yeah, he did kind of find it at the end. That's a good point. But my favorite quote from Dabo Sweeney today was about Tennessee and about how his team can get motivated for this game. It was more about the Clemson team, right? The question was about them losing South Carolina. How are you going to get motivated for the Orange Bowl? He said, turn the tape on, and you'll get motivated real quick when you watch these guys run, talking about Tennessee. So he's saying his team is getting motivated by the sheer speed of the volunteers. So if anything jumps out at you about you know other teams, other players respecting Tennessee's speed and having to account for it, it's that quote right there. Number six, Tennessee, and number seven, Clemson. This game will be on ESPN, the 2022 Capital One Orange Bowl, Friday night, December 30th, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. You have Tennessee 10-2 versus Clemson 11-2 as the ACC champion. Clemson will be the home team. They will be in their white jerseys with orange pants. Tennessee, on the other hand, will be going with their traditional orange and white home uniforms, even as a visitor. So a little bit of fun... Uh, uh, um, Kind of color swapping, you know, uniform mismatching, whatever it is that you want to go with. That's all I know. Lot of orange, (laughs) lot of orange, and the coaches were holding up oranges today. I mean, there has been a lot of orange here in Miami. Hey, don't go anywhere. Again, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, Ryan Shumper. He is coming up next. He is back in Nashville after being in Oxford, Mississippi, for the start of the SEC basketball season with Tennessee and Ole Miss. We are coming to him right now. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. Back here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast, Rick Butler, Jack Foster, we are welcoming in our good friend Ryan Shumpert into the show, who has spent the last couple of days on the road himself. He was at uh, in Oxford for the Tennessee versus Ole Miss SEC basketball season opener just yesterday on Wednesday night. Ryan, my friend, how are you? How have the travels been? What's going on? Travels have been good. Nice and easy getting over to Oxford from uh nashville where i've been uh, over over the holidays so nice uh scheduled timing for me nice easy four-hour drive and got over there yesterday came back this morning so all well on that front yeah nice and easy nice and easy well let's go ahead and get right into it and then we'll just start kind of talking a little bit of basketball here really the the sec season it has now obviously begun We've kind of spent the last couple of days as it is on the horizon, but now we know it's here and Tennessee gets a, a win to start things off. You were in the building yesterday. Just kind of walk me through this four point win for Tennessee over Ole Miss. Uh, they won by a score of 63 to 59. What'd you see? What'd you like? What did you not like? Stuff like that. Well, it was a kind of a classic SEC midweek, late afternoon, sleepy crowd kind of game. And uh, Tennessee obviously comes out really slow, go, gets down by double digits. Uh, Ole Miss comes out in- incredibly hot. I think they started four or six uh, from three-point range, ended up missing like their next eight threes, uh, something like that. Ended up making eight, got pretty hot towards the end uh, again as well. But Tennessee falls behind. They get it back kind of within striking distance at halftime, though it felt like they had a chance to really tie the game up at halftime. They struggled offensively uh, towards the end of the first half. And then second half, uh, it seemed like Tennessee really tried to up the ball pressure. Uh, they were able to get out, force uh, some turnovers, get out in transition, get some easy baskets, end up pulling ahead with really what ended up being close to eight minutes left. And I think he even got up by as much as six or seven, six or seven points. Uh, but Ole Miss came back late. Tennessee um, struggled to find offense down the stretch, missed 
uh, a couple free throws front of the one and one uh, one time that was a, a big miss. But in the end, they find a way to get enough stops. They hit enough free throws down the stretch, get enough baskets, and uh, exit Ole Miss one and zero in SEC play. And that's the that's the name of the game when you're on the road in, in conference plays. It's just about finding ways uh, to get a win, and that's what the Vols did. And uh, they're one and zero, and now they'll have six days off before they get ready for the other Mississippi school and Mississippi State coming to start or Mississippi State coming to Knoxville. And Ryan, you said walking out there with a win is the most important thing on the road in SEC ball. Well, it seems like in the last three years, anytime that the Vols have played Ole Miss, walking away with a win is just good enough because Ole Miss has played him tight. Just why do you think it is that the Rebels always play the Vols really tough? Uh, well, I think it's they're able to muck the game up, and that's kind of how Kermit Davis wants to coach. He's another defensive-minded coach, and certainly we know how that that's how Tennessee is. It's all very defensively-minded, and I think that lends itself to a lot of really low-scoring games. And I think Tennessee got 63 uh, yesterday. I think they got into 60s last year in the game in Knoxville, but I don't, I don't think they did that until overtime. And then down when Tennessee lost, uh, I guess, in what was early 2021 down in Oxford, it was a game in the 50s. So I think it's just a lot of low-scoring games that lend themselves to being uh, really, really tight and competitive. And uh, certainly Ole Miss is a, another defensive-minded team that I think can hang in the game with Tennessee. And obviously – not as often, or Tennessee comes out with a win more times than not, but certainly Ole Miss has been successful at pulling a few upsets in this series as well. All right, so this is just for roundtable. Somebody correct me if you feel like I'm wrong, but I think that now entering SEC play, Tennessee's got a lot of games in the back in the rearview mirror. They've got 13 now in the rearview, including that Ole Miss game. Guys, to me, I think if I'm Rick Barnes, it's time to put Jonas Adu in the starting lineup. He has, I think that he has been very, very productive for this team. It's obviously been about a, a season and a half of him with the Tennessee program. But even just looking back at last night, uh, I mean, the guy was tremendous. In 29 minutes, he had um, 13 total rebounds, six of those being offensive rebounds, ended with eight points, had a couple of blocks as well, a, a trio of blocks as well. I mean, what, what do you guys think? A am I, do I need to be corrected there? Or is it time to go ahead and put J Jonas Adu in the starting lineup? No, I think you're totally correct. Uh, I think correct. you're right. I, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead Jack. No, I was just going to say, I think you're totally right. I mean, yeah, three of Tennessee's four blocks last night. He has been just one of the elite defenders, if not the most elite defender on Tennessee this season. And with Jonas Adu's progression, I mean, he had a career night last night against Ole Miss with his progression toward becoming a really good player. We've seen Oroch Plavšić really struggle in multiple areas. He's kind of been a liability on the court, frankly, a couple of times. You know his antics have been getting on to Rick Barnes' nerves a lot. He continued those in Oxford last night a little bit there in the first half. So I think it's time for Jonas Adu to be in the starting five. Uh, I think y'all y'all are on it. And, you know, starting last night, it was – not only was it a career night for him, Tennessee needed it badly. Uh, Tobey Iwaka played just six minutes – uh, he rolled up his ankle, Rick Barnes said, earlier this week. So he was a little bit limited. Uh, Jack, you said it. Plostich was really, really bad last night for what was it felt like about the third consecutive game uh, that that's been the case. And then Olivier Kamala, he played well, but he only played 22 minutes because he dealt uh, with foul trouble. I think he had three or maybe two, just two in the first half, ended up fouling out. Uh, so Tennessee needed to get front court production uh, from somebody. And the other three players, as we just said, really weren't – or were limited or couldn't give it to Tennessee. So it was huge what he was able to give Tennessee on both ends. And uh, on the more long-term starting lineup, I, I think you're right. And uh, still the thought from Will Warren, I think he had the tweet, Tennessee can 
keep Zakai Ziegler on the bench if they want to start the game, but you can't start your classics if you're going to do that because Tennessee, it's just so far from your best lineup on the court right now. And I think even on the, that's kind of getting off the topic of the question, but getting on the, I think Zakai Ziegler, they can't sit him on the bench for the first four minutes of every half. They just can't afford to do it. He's too important to what they're trying to do offensively. Uh, so I think that'll be uh, worth watching, but certainly I think Adu is playing uh, better. Uh, than Plosic right now and is has been Tennessee's second best big man besides Olivier Coma. It just feels like Adu brings more to the court than Eroch does for Tennessee right now. He's doing a lot more than Eroch is and what is Plosic doing that Adu isn't doing? And if you look at it that way, I feel like it's pretty clear, like you said, that a starting five including Eroch is not going to be your best lineup. So to put Adu in there would be smart right now. You're right. I think that the answer to that question is Plasic is a better offensive scorer with his back to the basket. He's a guy that can generate a little bit of offense. For the most part, uh, Adu, he's just going to have to clean up stuff that people uh, give him or on the offensive glass. Now, granted, he does that at a better level than Plasic does because he's a better athlete. He's a better rebounder. And certainly what he does on the defensive end combined with that over overlaps uh, what Plasic brings him offensively. But I do think that is kind of uh, the answer, you can throw it down to Plasic and, and find some offense. Uh, I don't think you can really do that to do. And that's something I think they need to do less when he's in there. That's just not his strength right now. It's, it feels like a wasted possession oftentimes when you're throwing it to him down low. With, or I say down low, if he gets positioning, then you give it to him. But they throw it to him 10, 12 feet from the basket with 12 seconds on the shot clock. And it kind of feels like it drags down those possessions when they do. Yeah, you know, Ryan, you talk about strengths right there. And let's let's kind of broaden it out a little bit. As we move into as we continue to move in sec play here one game under the belt a lot more to go where do you think is tennessee's biggest strength as a team and where do you think their biggest struggle is as they as they you know enter a, a an important stretch here in january well it's it's broad answers but i think it's obvious answers their biggest strengths are defense it's best in the country at least adjusted defensive efficiency according to ken palm it's that by a, a decent, well, Houston's pretty close in number two spot, but there's a big gap between Tennessee at one and a handful of teams that have kind of cycled through and number three. Really, really good. They found a way to get even better. Obviously, I think Josiah Jordan-James has limited their versatility a little bit, but probably not as much as I would have expected before the season. Jemai Meshack has just been so, so good on that end, and Julian Phillips has been able to hold up playing multiple spots as well. They have better rim protection, as just like we talked about, and Jack, you really – uh, hit it on the head well with Adu being better down low. Cam was back. So that's the strength. The weakness is the offense. And I think it's specifically does you have a player you can consistently go to to create offense. Kennedy Chandler became that last season. But I think at the same time, it's important to remember Kennedy Chandler wasn't that the whole year last year. He, uh, I think, very similar to what we've seen from Julian Phillips. He came out fast. Team kind of hit a freshman wall. Team started to figure him out. He struggled in December. He struggled in January. And it really wasn't until that Texas game where he got benched at the end of January where he started to turn the corner. Right now, Tennessee doesn't have that guy that Chandler was towards the end of the stretch last year that could go get himself a basket or could go get another player and open look. To me, that's their biggest weakness. And I think there's a less obvious candidate. Chandler was always the obvious candidate last year. To me, I'm not sure there really is one. Phillips, I think, can get a basket for himself if he can kind of get over that hump. But he's not going to create offense for others, which I think it's probably why Zakai Ziegler is the answer. If there is uh, someone's going to emerge as a, a true, consistent go-to scoring option, uh, but certainly, uh, and we didn't even mention it talking about the game last night, it'd be remiss uh, not to mention what Santiago Vescovi did last night. Sure. He's not a guy that I think they need to put a lot of offensive load on him because I don't think he can create a ton of offense on the ball. 
but certainly what he's done off the ball and just relentlessly moving to try to get himself open uh, is proved itself very viable over the last two years. And he had a massive game last night and won Tennessee one to one without, without him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he was really important. He obviously finished with that, that line of 22 points. Uh, and, and that was, that was crucial for him. And, and second career high, right? Second most points he scored in a game, I believe. It was. And yeah, I was sitting beside uh, the game wife, Wilson, who's the, uh, assistant SID for the Tennessee basketball team, and he was having to slum it up sitting with us in the media, us media guys in the media section uh, yesterday. But he, he was hunting for that career high, and uh, YF wanted it badly. And the one thing Vescovy didn't do well yesterday is he did not shoot his free throw as well. So he really probably should have had a career high, but but you're right, it was his, his second biggest outing, and he really carried Tennessee offensively for really large portions of the game. Yeah, and I was about to say, nobody really shot from the free throw line that well either. Zakai Ziegler did. He went 90%, 9 yeah. of 10. But if you take away those, the rest of the team as a whole goes 9 of 16. So uh, certainly uh, some improvement can be made right there. Hey, real quick, I, I saw there was a little bit of, uh, you know, like we had talked about earlier in the show, Jack and I are, are here in Miami, so we didn't get a, a ton of chances to get to see the game yesterday. But I saw that there was a little bit of jawing back and forth between maybe some of the Tennessee players and the the student sections that, uh, excuse me, the students that were in town for the game. Did you see any of that? Did, do you know kind of uh, what was going on there? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a bunch of specifics on what was being said, but there was definitely, there was like a high school basketball vibe to the game uh, because sure. I say that from the aspect <laughs> that Ole Miss has like the seating like Auburn does, like Florida does, where the student seating is like the first 10 rows right three sides around the court um but it's christmas break there were like no students there it was a very very small student turnout like it looked like a high school student section and what, what comes with the high school student section is that you can hear everything everybody's saying so i think that probably <laughs> led uh, to a few more instances of jawing back and forth uh, i think it was, it was the kai ziegler who got knocked down kind of uh, in front of them and Jack you mentioned it if Plossage was helping him up and started jawing at him and then uh, when the game ended Vescovy and Jemai Meshack they were waving goodbye uh, Ziegler kind of had a petty he was dribbling the ball out he just dribbled right in front of him sat the ball the basketball right down <laughs> in, in front That's of him amazing. and then walked out so nothing too crazy but uh, still a decent level of pettiness and I think it, again I think it probably a lot of it came from there being so few students I think that players probably could have heard them at a higher rate and, you know, individual things people are saying than you could in a normal game. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this, Ryan, but pregame, even when Tennessee was just warming up or, you know, not even fully dressed out yet, they were just uh, – the Ole Miss students were, that were there, of course, were just jawing at him, like relentlessly getting up and being all animated with their movements. It was it was quite excessive a little bit, but uh, – yeah, that's that's fun. Just well, it, the December twenty eighth game, and you got that going on. Yeah, I mean, you even go back like the last couple of years. I mean, Tennessee and and Auburn, right? A couple of years ago, kind of had this little pseudo rivalry, and you get these throughout the league sometimes, just based on whatever's happening in sports. Tennessee and Auburn, kind of going back and forth that over the last couple of years. But recently, it's been Tennessee and Ole Miss. There's been a little bad, a uh, little bit of bad blood, or at least some memorable moments between <laughs> the two teams in the last couple of years. I mean, dating back to to a bunch of different things. So that certainly is a, a little bit of a fun atmosphere, even with uh, some of the obstacles that they were facing, like Christmas break and and just stuff like that. So certainly a good time all around. All right, Ryan, not much more for you right now, but uh, before we let you go, just any any kind of thoughts on the SEC season coming up as a whole. Yeah, it should be really exciting. It was a fun opening night of conference play, really good games, uh, Auburn surviving 
against Florida at home and then LSU uh, surviving at home with a a big statement win over Arkansas. So you saw uh, how difficult it is to win uh, on the road, I guess, in the SEC in some of those games yesterday. And it it should be a lot of fun. I think uh, at this point, Alabama looks to me like the favorite, but I don't think Tennessee is too far behind. I don't think Arkansas is too far behind. Um, And Auburn definitely does seem to be a little bit down. Kentucky seems to be a little bit down, but still it should, should be a lot of fun. A lot of teams that should make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and it's really interesting in the rankings, and obviously this is going to change here coming up next week, but as far as the rankings go for, for I believe, the December 26th rankings, you had two uh, two sets of three SEC teams in a row. So you had Tennessee, Alabama, and Arkansas at 7, 8, 9, and then you had Auburn, uh, what was it? It was Kentucky, Auburn, and Mississippi State right there at 19, 20, 21. So I, I do think you're right. I don't necessarily think there's a runaway favorite in the SEC right now, but there are a, a good handful of teams that are very quality, man, can win on any night, and, and obviously are going to you know push Tennessee to the limits whenever that comes later on in the year. Definitely, and I think uh, first, I guess kind of from what you just said, pushing Tennessee to the limit, I think Tennessee's schedule sets up for there to be a lot of really competitive games because they play the, mostly the top half of the league. They get them at home. They only play Alabama at home. They only play Arkansas at home, and then they go uh, – they play Auburn and Kentucky both twice. Um, and then you get a lot of the middle of the league. You go on the road to play them. You go to Texas A&M. You go to Florida. You go to LSU. They actually do get Missouri at home, who's kind of seemingly right now appearing to be one of the better teams in the middle of the class yeah. in the league. And Mississippi That's... State, they get uh, twice as well. So uh, I think that sets up for what should be a really fun uh, winner of, of really tight games. And then uh, I guess kind of another lighthearted note to have on the conference as a whole is it's just I was thinking about it yesterday, even just driving down to Oxford before the game started. But it's just it's just a staple every year, right around the new year. It feels like Arkansas and Eric Musselman have a lot of issues and they're not a very good team. And right now, it certainly feels that way. You have the Trevor Brazil injury; he'd been a star for them after transferring from Missouri. You have Nick Smith, who's their top five draft pick or projected top five draft pick now out indefinitely. They can't seem to have anybody that can hit an outside shot. Again, obviously, they played a pretty weak pre-conference slate. They lose the opener. Feels like they have a lot of question marks, but that's how it is seemingly every year. And I think it, uh, there's so much talent on that team. Uh, I think they're certainly going to figure things out and probably be uh, right in the thick of it at the end of the race. And for a Tennessee team that has a great chance to win the SEC title, I think that's why you can't overlook that loss last night. I think that was big for Tennessee that Arkansas dropped one early in a really tight game that could have gone either way. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, Ryan, we uh, man, thanks so much for – for joining us here. We can't wait to all get back in studio together, but one last thing for you real quick. I mean, we are going to try to be putting this podcast out on sometime on Thursday afternoon. I think a lot of people are, are going to be listening to it on Thursday, maybe Friday as well though, though, but as our resident Titan, just any quick thoughts on the news that Josh Dobbs is going to be starting for your Tennessee Titans tonight against my Dallas Cowboys. Well, I hope he survives behind the offensive line. He's going to play behind, and uh, it'll I mean, it'll add a little bit of entertainment level, I guess, uh, for for my ass for my side of it. You know, the game doesn't doesn't matter to the Titans since obviously it just comes down to the Week 18 game against Jacksonville. But who? I'm glad Josh Dobbs is getting his chance. I'm glad it's for the Titans. I'm glad I'm going to get to watch it. But man, he is not being put in a situation to be successful. So uh, I I don't envy him in the role he's going to have to take on on a pretty depleted roster against a a really good Cowboys defense. Yeah, we will certainly see what happens. All right, well, hey, 
That right there is a loaded show here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. Again, you have me and Jack. We are in Miami right now for the Orange Bowl coming up on Friday night. You have Ryan just getting back to Nashville from Oxford as he was following the Tennessee basketball team as they started SEC play. Man, we have so much to look forward to in the next couple months as basketball continues to roll out. And then eventually we're going to get to baseball as well. We have the Lady Vols going on. Man, there's so much to get into. Make sure you are staying locked in to Rocky Top Insider for all of it. Again, you can follow Rocky Top Insider on any of our social media platforms. That is Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. We are at Rocky Top Insider on each one of them. Make sure you're going and following them and checking them out right now. If you want to follow Jack, you can do that. And he is at Jack Foster Media. If you want to follow Ryan, you can do that. He is at rshump00. If you want to follow myself, you can do that. I am at Rick underscore Butler. But of course, just make sure you are following Rocky Tump Insider and you're checking out RockyTumpInsider.com each and every day. That would mean a lot to us. You know what else would mean a lot to us? If you went ahead and left us a five-star recruiting ranking here for this podcast, a, a review, a, a whatever it is, we would love to hear that from you. Also, just making sure you're subscribed to the show because we got a lot to look forward to in 2023. But I guess that's going to wrap it up for 2022 now that I'm thinking about it, right? Yep. Happy New Year, everyone. I mean, (laughs) great time. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Happy New Year to everybody out there. We're going to go ahead and close this thing out. Hey, make sure you're checking out Rocky Top Insider each and every day. Otherwise, we will see you back in 2023. For Jack, for Ryan, I'm Rick. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass.